A couple of summers ago, I had an incredible invitation, uh, kind of once in a lifetime invitation to go backpacking with a group of pastors in Colorado. It was right in Buena Vista, if you know where that is, in the San Isabel National Forest. It's this forest that's protected by the government. It's never been built and it will never be developed. And I had literally never been in an environment that hasn't been developed or touched by man ever. And it was so pristine. And our guide that takes us there, his name's Chuck, uh, he has a special r relationship with the rangers, and he uh, often goes in here and documents where people have come in and made fires illegally and, and all sorts of things. And he has a special permit where, like, once every two years, he can take a small group of people in here. And so where we camped for a week, um, the purpose was to just give pastors, like, a, a break and to kind of pour into them, and they paid for it all. It was really incredible, wonderful ministry. Um, but it was like, he hadn't been there in two years and he wouldn't come back to the spot in two years. And it was, it was, it's so hard to describe the environment. And, um, I wanted to show you a couple of pictures because I, I think it will help set the setting for the verse we're going to be talking about today. In this first picture, uh, this is actually me. This is a, my friend taking a picture of me taking a picture, which is kind of really meta and hilarious. And that's kind of, that was his tent. It wasn't my tent. But um, these clouds had come in. I think we had just gotten there. We'd hiked for like half a day on elk trails with llamas who were carrying all of our stuff um, and got to this really remote part of the forest. And I was just so blown away at the trees, but then this like huge mountain, as you can see in this picture, I am I'm standing there taking a picture of this mountain and of this, this cloud that had come in. Now, ever since that moment when we got there, there was talk that on the last day, we were gonna wake up early at like four in the morning, and we were gonna hike to this ridge, this area that I took um, a picture of the mountain. And so that day came, and I was like, you know, I really don't wanna do this. I don't wanna wake up at four in the morning, and I don't wanna go through the grueling effort, but this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think we were at 12 or 13,000 feet elevation, and so I set my alarm and I, we, I woke up and it was like high 30s. I mean, it was hard to sleep because it was so cold, but we were out here and um, for an hour and a half, we hiked with headlamps on an elk trail going up this mountain. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do physically. Um, I almost quit several times. I did not think I'd make it to the top. But I just had to figure out like why why all the commotion about going up to this ridge, and we finally made it right before sunrise, which was the point we wanted to go up there to like catch the sunrise. And I took this picture of our group on the ridge, and and you can see like this is the tip of the mountain, like it's you know where it comes to a, where a stop, and you go over on the other side, and I, you know I think it was around fourteen fourteen and a half thousand feet never been on earth that high before in isolation in the wilderness it was incredible and this next picture that i want to show you uh, is a picture i took with my phone it's, a, it's actually a panoramic it's 180 degrees so you know if you're standing there and you looked all the way to your left you would see the far left of the image and if you looked all the way to your right you would see the far right of the image and this is as the sun is starting to rise and peak over the other mountains um, it's really hard for this uh, iPhone picture to describe just how big and vast this area was. But I want you to just to stare at this. One of the things that I learned in this moment 
is a real powerful lesson that I've heard before, but I experienced it in a, in a fresh way, is that um, while this mountain, literal, this literal mountaintop experience was amazing, and it was like transcendent and so breathtaking, and it was worth getting up at four in the morning to do like a two-hour hike. Um, what what I learned is that it's the mountain top is beautiful, but there's no life there. There's no water. There's no shelter. There's a reason why we got up early in the morning. Didn't do this in the middle of the day. We would have been beat with the sun. Uh, there are no animals. There was very very few vegetation. There is no food. Uh, you could not live on top of this mountain. And as I looked down, um, I noticed where we were camping. And I didn't realize this until I got up on the mountaintop. But we were, if you look kind of almost dead center, um, just to the right in this picture, you see like a dark blob. And that's all the pine trees. That's the valley. And, you know, the snow, it, you know, melts and goes down the mountain and it accumulates in the valley. And that's where life is. Life follows the water there. And I realized we were actually living in the valley. That life is in the valley. But we, the whole time that we were in the valley, I wanted to get on the mountaintop. And I wanted to get out of the valley. But once I got on the mountaintop, I realized that actually the best part was the life and the peace. Um, and, and it was hard. I mean sleeping outdoors for a week <laughs> is hard like it wasn't easy but but and yet there was this like transcendent peace in being in God's creation in such a pure way I want to show you this next picture this is a viewpoint from the valley this is um, the edge of our campsite another panoramic view there's a trail off to your right if you look down to the left it's kind of hard to see but you might see a glimmer but that's that's the stream there's there was a little rock stream of where the snow was flowing down and that's where we would drink where we would um, do our cooking from there we wouldn't go to the bathroom in there um, but that that little stream in the valley was our life source it, it was a really gentle quiet um, place I'll show you another picture this is another um, kind of an open field that's in the valley. And you can see kind of in the daytime uh, when the sun is out, high noon, and you see right there in the middle that darker blob in the valley, that's all the life, that's all the trees, that's the, the shade. And if you notice, uh, it's kind of hard to see, but on the, on the ground there, there's like little tiny specks. And those are flowers. This last picture I'll show you is the wildflowers here in this valley. In the summer of Colorado, a few things are more beautiful than that. I, I, I made, um, I, this is how ignorant I am of these things. I mentioned to someone about like how beautiful they were and like who, who came out here to plant them. And like they started laughing. And, and, I and someone said, Drew, God planted them. Like, a landscaper didn't come out here to plant these wildflowers. You know, God, through, the, through creation, planted these things. And, and as I, like, really meditated on these wildflowers and the streams and the rock formations and the trees, I realized, like, you know, this is really not really part of the sermon, but I, it was such a profound observation. It's like, God doesn't plant things in a straight line. You know, like, later... You know, after the trip, I remember driving by a median 
in front of Target and there was all these like flowers and they were all like soldiers in a straight line and color coded and and Shari was with me at that time. She's like, that's so beautiful. And I wanted to throw up because I was like, God doesn't plant flowers like soldiers in a straight line. Like it's wild, you know? Um, but th that came from the valley. It, that, that image of the flowers there uh, didn't come from the mountaintop, it came from the valley. It's kind of like rainy and dreary outside. It, it, it's kind of been one of those weeks. So I'm, I'm kind of depressed, but like, Thanks for allowing me the time to, to like reminisce this wonderful experience I had in Colorado. I'd love to go back. Uh, I, I want to just frame that setting for you, um, that, there, that there's a mountain, that there's higher ground, that there's a valley, that there's danger, that there's a presence of a guide. Chuck was our guide leading us. I, I could have never made it out of there alive. I would not even known where to go had it not been for Chuck. All of that. That, that story I, I, I recount to you that is kind of selfishly more to like lift my spirits on this dark, dreary day, um, it, it really serves as a frame and a context for the verse we're looking at today. You know, we've been studying Psalm 23 for the past few weeks. It has been such a delight to my soul. I know I've heard from some of you who have been like, oh, it's like a drink of glass water, a, a drink of glass water. See, the, the week we've had, <laughs> it's like a, a glass of water in the desert. You know, like I have just been soaking in who our good shepherd is these past couple of weeks. I hope it's been good for you. Um, today, we're going to drill down on verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you're an English student or you have a literary eye, you've probably noticed the change in personal pronouns here. The first three verses refer to Jesus as the Lord or he or his namesake. It's like referring to him over here. It's almost as if the sheep is bragging about their shepherd, someone on the other side of the fence and about how their grass is greener. But in this verse, it, all that changes. It gets super personal and intimate. It's very significant. And the personal pronouns of I and you are introduced um, right here in verse 4. Now, before we break down the lines of verse 4, um, I'd love to just maybe read all of the verses together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hear the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's look at the setting here. Uh, there's some wonderful backstory uh, that we usually don't get because not, I'm guessing none of us or almost none of us are actual agricultural shepherds or have any experience with that. We're mostly digital people these days. Um, but what I've learned is that in shepherding, it's common to split your time on pastures and divide the year up when summer comes, when, when the summertime comes. 
In the summer, a shepherd would take his flock on a road trip. They'd leave the home range or the home ranch, and they would journey slowly up to higher grounds to kind of just break things up. And this is a slow and long drive of the cattle. Uh, the shepherd steers the flock gently and slowly at a steady incline, and they will eventually hang out all summer on vacation of sorts. Remember those things, summer vacations? And they would kind of do that away from the home all summer up on the higher ground to, to kind of like take in what's up there. And then when autumn comes and the snow starts to fall on the highest ridges, the flock is forced literally to make the journey down the mountain through the valley to the home ranch or the home headquarters. This action of coming down from the mountain into the valley as the days are getting shorter, going to the home ranch, this action is what is being described in the rest of Psalm 23 from here on out. It's really interesting when you look at it from, from that perspective. Now, remember when the prophet, if you, if you know the story of David, remember when the prophet comes um, to look for the king and Jesse brings out all of his sons, but David's missing. That Where is David? This is what he's doing. He's not at home at the ranch headquarters. He's out on the higher ground with the flock by himself. It's interesting how that is kind of tied in here. Now, um, during this time on the mountain, the, the sheep only have the shepherd. That's it. It's very lonely and it's intimate, which is why David introduces the personal pronouns here. He, he's no longer talking like a sheep who's bragging about how great his shepherd is and how the grass is greener on his side of the fence. He's now focused on the care and the protection of the shepherd. The background, the setting to all of this intimacy and protection and guidance is something similar to the camping experience I described earlier that kind of lifted my spirits. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's look at one of these first words here, walk. Even though I walk. You know, when I go through a valley or a hard time or a low point, I don't want to walk. I want to run. How about you? I hate trials. And I know James says to rejoice in suffering. And I really struggle with that. But I know he's right. It's just not a natural response for me to rejoice when I'm in you know, a valley or, or when I'm in a struggle. And I'm convicted here in how often I want to shortcut and speed up the process that God is leading me through. I don't want to walk. I'd love to run. I'd love to avoid it altogether. And I'm beginning to realize that my fear and anxiety often wants to dictate the timetable instead of yielding to God's timetable. When I lose sight of his presence with me, when I give into fear instead of love, I get impatient and I want to run. And that usually makes things worse. Even though I walk through, through, not even though I walk to the valley, of the shadow of death. It's through, not to, even though I walk through. You know, sometimes we get stuck in these valleys and we can get comfortable with toxic. You know, sometimes when we go through something, we experience that frog in the kettle moment. 
and we don't realize that we're in boiling water and we, we get comfortable with toxic. We get comfortable with the valley. We get comfort, comfortable with the disillusionment. We get comfortable with COVID. You know, we, we get comfortable with suffering and pain. You know, Israel did this in the Old Testament. There were times when they got comfortable with Egypt and even though they were in the literal desert, they complained and wanted to go back to the abusive superpower because they were comfortable there. They didn't want to journey through the desert to get to the promised land. They wanted to go back to Egypt and they ended up staying in the promised land for 40 years. They walked to the desert. They failed and didn't walk through the desert or through the valley. Even though I walk through the valley. You know, by definition, a valley is a low point with uh, two high peaks on the side. There can be a shadow because the sun can only shine during high noon there. And predators also can have high ground in the valley. That's why it's dangerous. There's lots of evil and danger for sure in the valley. And, and, and that's hence the need for a shepherd, hence the need for a guide. Every shepherd is aware of the adverse weather and the storm that can roll in with, without warning. Um, they're aware of the predators roaming around and they keep their eye on the fast streams that can bring a drowning death to the flock. They also feed the flock in the valley and make sure that the, the flock are cared for in the valley. You know, I prefer the majesty of mountains, but the truth is that there's life in the valley. Because there's life and beauty to be found in the valley, there. There's a battle for it. There's a contention for life. That's why the predators are there, because there's life. The valley wouldn't be dangerous if it wasn't life-giving. We despise the valley all the most of the time I do because it's dangerous, because it hurts. But I, we rarely realize the reason why the predators hang out in the valleys because that's where the life is. That's where the beauty is. Fear no evil. There is no need to fear evil if you have love. I heard someone hypothesize the other day that there are only two emotions. There's fear and then there's love. That's it. Fear and love. I, I questioned it at first, but the more I chew on it, the more I think there's something there. You know, perfect love does cast out all fear. And Jesus is literally love walking around in sandals. And so if you have love if you have Jesus with you in every situation, even in the dark trial, even in a disappointment, in every heartbreak, in every sickness, every diagnosis, every setback, every dilemma, every tragedy. You know, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is love. There is no need to fear when you have him with you. In his book on prayer, The Circle Maker, Mark Batterson um, has the quote that says, the answer to all of our problems is always more of the Holy Spirit. When I first read that, I scoffed at it and thought, really? I, I mean, I don't believe in silver bullets, so I was really skeptical, but I've come around to it, and I know he's right. The answer is always more, not less, of God's presence. God's presence over us, in us, and through us. I've noticed that when fear starts running the show, I am missing God's presence inside of me. The New Testament calls us fragile jars of clay. We are leaky, cracked vessels that are fragile. We're cups with a hole in it. We constantly need to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit isn't a one-time deal or a one-time event. It's better to be, say, be 
uh, refilled with the Holy Spirit. Rod and staff. You know, with God's presence comes a rod and a staff. One's for the predator and the other is for sheep. A rod is a weapon, a club of sorts, and it's not for the sheep. Some people get this one tragically wrong, unfortunately. The rod is not for the sheep. It's for the wolves, for the predators, for the snakes. The staff is for the sheep. You know, a staff is a, is a protective extension of the shepherd's hand. I think of when a child is learning to walk and is passing coffee table, the parent will kind of follow them and, and have their, their um, arms at the side guiding them against the 90 degree angles and like making sure that, you know, they don't get hurt. That's what a staff does. A shepherd will take the staff and guide the sheep to where it needs to go. It's very gentle. It's there, the, 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 the staff is not to beat the sheep. The rod is there to, to get the wolves away. But he's a good shepherd. He's not an abusive shepherd. The staff is there to guide and protect. And, and, and you know, the result of all this is that there's comfort. You know, one of the nicknames of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. That's what Jesus called the Spirit, the Comforter. And we spend so much of our energy uh, trying to make our lives as comfortable and cozy as possible. You know, Francis Chan has a line about this in his book, Forgotten God, that goes something like this. Uh, you don't need the Holy Spirit if your American life is cozy and comfortable. One of the things I appreciate about the scriptures is that it's plain and addresses suffering like straight on. God is a God who does identify and takes on our literal and physical suffering. You know, some people don't get this and they question God's existence when things don't turn out like they dreamt them up. And I get that. I've done that too. You know, but if we look carefully, God never promises us a cozy life. He promises us everlasting life. Life to the full, not life without pain. And he warns us that in the world we will have trouble. His answer is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, when I look back at my walk with God, it is the valleys, not the mountaintops, where I have experienced um, more of God's presence. I've had some great mountaintop experiences, and like Peter, I'd prefer to build the tent there and hang out there where it's transcendent, but I've seen God's hand more in the valley. I've grown and matured more into Christ when I'm in the valley. The valley does a better job at forming Christ in me and forming me into the image of Christ. The mountain ridge provides great vision and perspective, and it's a wonderful moment, but life is in the valley. And I don't, I don't love the valley of the shadow of death, but when Christ is with you, the valley proves valuable. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. In Philippians, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, in those two verses, there's something uh, interesting. There's a really interesting connection that, that it is God who brings us comfort and yet with humility, we are to look around to others and be conduits of God's comfort to them as well. I'd love to ask you two questions, and one is about you and one is about those around you. The first would be, you know, where do you need the comfort of Christ right now? Are you in the valley of the shadow of death? Do, are you afraid? Are you scared? Are you anxious? Are you hurting? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? Do you need the presence of your good shepherd with you. We, we all need comforting, but sometimes we dismiss where we need comforting for various reasons. I would encourage you to take some time right now um, to do a quick inventory, just a quick mental inventory, and notice where you're hurting, where you're in pain, where you need the comfort of Christ. That's where Christ seeks to show up and minister his, his peace to you. You know, I ignore this all the time. I was, I was talking with a friend this week on the phone and I was um, kind of bearing my heart to him about a situation. And he mentioned to me, he, he said, man, I can really hear the pain in your voice. And my first reaction was like, no, I'm good, man. Like, I don't feel the pain. And it really was shocking to me that he could hear the pain that I was relating to him, but I didn't pick up on it. And I thought he was being like super sensitive. And then he, he said, hey, you, did you ever buy this book I told you about? And I said, oh yeah, it's on my list. I just haven't, it's like literally at the bottom of my list. He goes, oh, he said, do me a favor. Just go to the end and read this last chapter. And I think, I think there's something there for you. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Well, that night I, I pulled it out and I didn't do, I, I started at the beginning and I got to a portion in the book where the author was describing the situation that I was in. And I began to feel like I, I began to feel in my body the pain that my friend recognized in my voice. And I had just, uh, I just felt this, um, just the sadness that I hadn't felt in a while. And, you know, Sure, Shari was looking at me like, why are you crying? <laughs> you know, I was reading in bed late at night, reading through. And um, man, my friend gave me a great gift. He, he recognized that there was pain that I was discounting and that I was not addressing. And he encouraged me to, to face it. And he gave me something, he encouraged me to do something super practical, and I did, and I ended up crying in bed. Um, and it has been such a delightful, I mean, you know, in, in, in that respect, I'm in a bit of a valley in this situation. And it's terrible. I, it's not my valley. It's not one I chose. I don't want to be here. But there are riches that God has given me in this valley. There is, he's with me. I'm not afraid. I sense his love. And he is teaching me so many things that I could never learn on YouTube or at a seminary 
or by reading something. It's like this experience is teaching me so much and it will bear fruit for God's kingdom and for our church for years and years and years to come because life is not in the mountaintop, it's in the valley. I'm so grateful for my friend Ryan who, who noticed where I needed comfort. And I, I wonder, and I'm going to harp it on this, for whoever is like, you know, watching this online when most of us are in person, is, man, where are you hurting that you're ignoring? Maybe you're hurting and you're ignoring it like I do. I wonder what it would look like practically for you to acknowledge where you're hurting and need the comfort of the Good Shepherd. And assuming that you can work through that, the second question would be for others. Uh, is there anyone around you? Maybe, you know, maybe you can be a Ryan, my friend, to someone else. Is there, is there someone around you, a family member, a stranger, a neighbor, a coworker, even a church member who is hurting and needs comforting? And maybe they're stuck in the valley. Maybe they're comfortable in the valley. And maybe they're, they've grown comfortable in their discomfort. And perhaps God has placed you there to give a word of encouragement to to, to listen and to name, perhaps, or to reflect back where you might hear pain. And maybe you can function as Philippians 2 talks about, of if you've had any comfort from Christ, to walk in humility, loving and serving, counting others more important than yourselves. In short, where are you in the valley? And where are others in the valley that they may need God's presence through you. It's been good talking. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are a good shepherd, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. But I know that the days we live in are, are tricky and that with life on this earth comes so much pain and anxieties and triggers. Lord, I ask that you would make your presence known to my friends where they are discounting the pain. Lord, show up in those spaces and bring your healing salve. And God, I pray you would give us eyes to see those around us, our neighbors around us who are hurting, and you would help us to bring your goodness to them, help us to bring your presence to them, help us to be agents of reconciliation, agents of peace, Agents of hope, agents of love. Or teach us to be a people of practical goodness and mercy to those around us. And what I pray for those listening, watching, tuning in who are going through something and, and maybe they feel like you aren't there, Lord, I pray you would help them to see that you meet them in their reality, not in the past, not in the future, but right now, where it hurts. Lord, give them eyes to see your presence. Surround them with your kindness and your love. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.